0: Welcome to the Dolcetta Server Experience on Full Service Radio. We are live from the Line Hotel. This is Violeta, your host from Dolcetta Gelato, and I'm here with my co-host and partner in crime, Rob Duncan. And today we have Honesty founder Seth Goldman with us. He's also the executive chairman of Beyond Meat. Um, Thank you so much for being with us. It's great to
1: be with you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming. We're excited.
0: So, I was going to start the interview with, you know, asking you about your past and this and that, but I just, we just ran into you on the street and you were trying to help this guy, it was raining, and you opened your car and this guy ran out of battery and you were trying to help him and I was like, you know, this kind of defines, and I don't even know you, but I felt like that sort of defines a little bit of who you are and your character. Um, and so, it was so touching, you know, to see you, and you know, I was pouring, you stop your car, which, by the way, is a, like I was expecting this amazing car. It's just a very humble, like a, nice car. Well, but... The problem
1: was it was a hybrid and I couldn't figure out how to get the battery to uh, charge him up. So uh, unfortunately, I was not able to help him, but I at least they did try.
0: But you try, you try. And then you come here to the studio and you have your samples of honesty, which is another one of your trademarks, you know. <laughs> Like, I don't know how many years you've been doing this, but the fact that you're bringing samples to us and you have, you know, your product with you and your jacket with you. I mean, seriously. Like, how many years well, yeah. has Seth
1: carried the cooler? So, so when I got out of college and uh, I'm dating myself, of course, from 1987, I, my first internship was in Hong Kong. And I was working for the U.S. State Department. And I would go out and meet all these business people there. And everywhere I went, they serve you tea. And um, initially, I I was very businesslike, so I said, oh, no, no, I don't need tea. I just need, let's get to business. And I didn't realize that what they were really doing was offering me a way to connect with them. And it was a a gesture of friendship and a gesture of hospitality. So for me, bringing tea is that way to make that offering. And of course, it is a sampling opportunity, but it's also a way to say, we have the chance to
0: connect 100% that's what food does right, right. Well, it's a well, you know, big even, connector
2: even more so I mean in, in that vein as far as tea is ritual and connection right where you know Bialeta comes from Argentina and now her folks live in Uruguay and they have the mate tradition right. down there, which is so much that's, that's what it's about it's right. really about getting together and socializing and connecting and breaking bread with that tea that's mate, right mate that that's they pass right.
1: around and share with each other. And it's a really big part of their culture. So it's also a way to say, yes, we're happy to do business, but let's also make sure we have the chance to share yeah, to know together. each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Beyond
0: that's, that's whatever. So,
2: that's so important. That's some, that thing is like, let's do business, but let's also do other things. That's right. So, you know, being played out on, on the world stage right now as far as I, I, that... That mono value of things. Yeah. There are there are there are other things to value other than just the bottom line and profit, which is extremely important. Right. But when it becomes the mono value, it yeah. seems like that then becomes a problem. Yeah, you know. Yeah, for
0: that- sure. So you were just talking about this time in Hong Kong, and, and <laughs> I I wanted to talk to you a little bit about traveling because Rob and I met in Brazil. Yeah. In the Amazon jungle, mm. and those like in our early twenties, and for us it was extremely. Informative to who we are, yeah. and I read that you you know you traveled too, and you taught English in in China and in Russia. Right. And so, so tell me how important those you know abroad experiences were for you in your in your formation. And, and,
2: and when was that? How
1: yeah. how old? So right after college. So um, you know, I, I think that the early twenties are probably the most well, you know, basically anything up through twenty five is like informative inform, for your whole life, and so you know. Um, Obviously, I learned a lot in college, but immediately after college, it was still, I would call, part of my education, even though I wasn't in a formal institution. But I had studied Russia and China in, um, at college. I was a government major. And so I wanted to understand. And even, you know, my major was comparative government, and I looked at what was happening in Russia and China, which at the time were communist countries. And so, like, communism fascinated me because I knew there was something wrong. With it, but I also knew the I, There was something in the idea that was noble. Like it obviously went way, way in the well, wrong Well, the direction.
0: war com, it comes from commune, com- yeah, and so the original idea, idea yeah. was not to have money even, right? <laughs> right if you read Marx and yeah. you, you, you read the, the Capital, right now, yeah. So, so you, you go back to uh, something. Very pure, that, that of course didn't manifest the way, right, you know, right. we, we all know how it went.
1: Yeah, so that idea that of, of shared of shared um, fortunes together, that there's something there that's noble, and then obviously it just got handled terribly. And so I wanted to see firsthand why it went wrong and how it went wrong. And so spent a year in China teaching, and um, the reason I chose teaching was because my Chinese wasn't great. And so here, by teaching, I had an automatic excuse to meet and interact with all these Chinese students. Uh, And so that was a wonderful um, year. And I learned a lot. And the other thing it did, it was my first. So, um, you know, I grew up in Boston. I went to school at Harvard. So I was also in Boston and I hadn't really flown the coop. I hadn't really had that chance to just go out on my own. And so for me, going to China was educational in terms of the experience, but also personally to be out. You know, I, I will never forget the night I went out to Hunan, which is central China. And I got out of this train and it was like you know, long tr- delays, whatever. So I got out at about midnight and I'm walking through the dark in this train station. And I realize like um, and I walk out into the city and I'm like, there's for literally probably a hundred million people around. Nobody knows me. So like I could I could disappear here and nobody would know. But I also like, all right, this is. This is being an entrepreneur. And I look back and I wasn't saying that in my mind, but I realized like that was an entrepreneurial thing to go into a place and into a group of people where nobody knows me and just see if I can get by. I obviously didn't know the language well and sort of get by. And that was in a, in a much larger scheme. That was what I was doing by traveling as well. You know, can I make a, a Taking living? Taking
0: a risk and seeing. Yeah, same. exactly.
2: Going, going into the unknown.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I was doing that every day. Every day I'd go, you know, venture out. I had a bike and I'd just go out to some part of the city Sometimes I'd walk through a park, other times I'd walk into either shops or a neighborhood and just try to sort of look at something new and see something new. And it was so I, there was a lot of new things to see and learn.
0: Interestingly enough, Rob already um, named this show um, for. Um, the website description, and he called it "Into the Beyond."
2: <laughs> into the great beyond. Into yeah, the great well, beyond. It. It's like the multidimensional pun. <laughs> <tongue. laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So that was that was um, those were great learning experiences. And and then, you know the other thing that I got out of my time in China and Russia was that in both economies there was entrepreneurship happening at some small level. So uh, you know the person near the university where I taught, someone was opening up a restaurant. Another guy opened up a bike repair shop, which was literally not a shop, just on the corner. He had a little stand where he would fix bikes. And then in Russia, um, I met a woman who was starting up a cooperative school, which was essentially a private school, and uh, I ended up working you know, at that school. And there, too, to see these entrepreneurs, these are real entrepreneurs, and they're, they're not just starting up an enterprise, they're having to go against a government system that's against entrepreneurs, against people's expectations around entrepreneurs, so... Uh, I got, you know, really inspired by seeing these people go after something, and, and build something from nothing, and find ways to make things happen when it's challenging, and and that always helped steal me as I started building Honest Tea. Like, all right, yeah, there's going to be challenges. We've got to figure out how it is. But at least I, I'm in a government that, you know, it in is in an economy that allows that and supports that. A
0: hundred percent. Did, did the
1: people
2: um, look down on the, the entrepreneurs They had mixed there? feelings
1: because what the entrepreneurs were offering were valuable things. Um, and so people didn't have a problem with it. But on the other hand, there was jealousy because, you know, why should these people be making money when we can't make money? And there's always, um, especially in Russia, corruption in the system. And so um, there, it's. on the one hand, you could say, well, these entrepreneurs were corrupt because they were, you know, gaming the system. But of course, you know, what we've seen is the, <laughs> there's a lot of corruption. So yeah. um, when you don't have an economy that supports free commerce, you, you can't, as an entrepreneur, survive without having some element of what people would call corruption, but... Right. Um, those are just what. That's kind of what shows you how it was a warped economy, and and you know you could look at what's happening in the United States today, and and some of the companies that have done some crazy things. You know, I was my wife and I were just talking about what happened at WeWork, and and you know so so for somebody to walk away with a billion dollars when shareholders have lost so much money that we just
2: listened to the, what the daily, the daily. The, the daily. Yeah. or no was it the, it was the
0: daily. Was it the da- yeah it was
2: yeah. the daily on, on yeah that was story. the workers
0: saying hey um we <laughs> were, were, get, we're, we were a community yeah. remember yeah. that's like, what the yeah. values
2: were that seem now kind yeah. of like um it yeah. was more spin than right. Um, reality
1: right so there's you could say i don't know that that's officially corruption but it's certainly you have to question it's the a corruption of, of it's, it's
0: the ego trip right yeah. it's also what happens to right to a person when when they get very rich and they are adored by everyone around them and everyone is enabling them and so until what point you know there is no checks and balances when you're a private company and so and And when you get to
2: the point of we fly you know (laughs) something is like gone wrong that whole we everything it was like
1: um it it becomes a little bit of a
0: cult you know of personality i think i think you you do a terrific job at, at not becoming that person I mean is is that, that is would that
1: be my worst nightmare, right? <laughs> <laughs> you go from honesty to <laughs> honest steps. yeah, something like that. No,
0: yeah, well I think I think it's um it's very honorable because it means that you know you keep yourself in check that you are actually aligned with certain values, that you're not just talking about it, which you know, there's a lot of spinning nowadays. Yeah. Everyone spins yeah. everything and yeah. we all say that we are doing certain things we all know. I mean I don't wanna Put all of us in that category, but a lot of people say that are doing things that are not they are not mm. really doing. So, so I think it's important to lead by example,
1: yeah. um,
0: and yeah. that is just reflected uh, on on our environment, right? And like the, the, it's yeah. just exemplified by um, whomever is around you. Mm. I think you know, I, I read reflection. something
2: yeah. the other day that said our goals have changed, but our values haven't. That kind of thing was something mm. that was like that's interesting. To put it that way as far hmm. as kind of no matter really what happens around you you know yeah. you're changed but you're always the same that kind hmm. of balance as far as um, I, I saw I thought that was interesting the way that they put that. Hmm. I have a question, though, for yeah. you, back to um, being in um, Russia and China. Yeah. Did you learn about like um, what made communism fail when you said you were yeah. interested in going yeah. there to see? Yeah, well,
1: I did. Um, and I had done this also sort of in my thesis, but you know, people need incentives. So there's the carrot and the stick, right? The carrot is you get rewards. The stick is if you don't do this, you're going to get punished. And people need the carrot. People need positive incentives to... Uh, and everybody wants to... The other thing I've found, people need to be empowered. And the ultimate failure, I think, of what why Congress didn't work, people didn't have any sense of personal power. Like, you didn't have a direct connection between your work and the results. So you could do incredible work, positive work, and not feel any economic reward for it. You may get, a, you know, some proclamation, but I, it only goes so far. And so, um, you know, to me, the reason I think entrepreneurship is such a powerful... Vehicle for growing our economy, but also for making results change, powerful change happen, is because people get to feel rewarded for their work, and and when you don't have that, it fails. And then, you know, you can look at our economy today, and it gets, you know, then it gets to a bigger when you look at the political debate. So, should we have multi-billionaires? You know, and and the the reason people argue that we should is because they people need to be rewarded, and so you know, the question is what what point. Is it is too much? Too much? I don't. And obviously, the United States hasn't really grappled with that. that
2: that's that's a very hot, <laughs> complex, yeah. complicated debate yeah. that seems to be um, have. You know, people are talking about, about it talking now. Talking about it. Well, but
0: accumulation I, of wealth. Yeah. I mean, and, and inequality, right? Yeah, it goes, yeah. goes back to then, that. Because
2: you know, so that on that was what you. It sounded like you saw that didn't work on the communism. Yeah, system. Yeah, they were
1: so way out of whack. in I mean, the communists. Were, yeah, that that was. That was the failure. It was just you could, when you rob people of rewards or incentives, then you rob them of motivation, and and that's that's terrible. Well, it was fatal for these economies. Right. And you could argue, and you know, obviously China's evolved since then. But for Russia, that was what you know, really.
2: So you hurt. know, a really quick question. I know you have such a, <laughs> a like a list that I want to um Go for stick it. to. So you know. What do you think about the capitalistic the op the other side? Yeah. Of it? what do you think about like where, and you should like where we you inhabit you yeah. lived here so you've had time yeah. to observe so, that. So what do you think yeah. about the system that we're in I, right I now? I do
1: you know what did Winston Churchill say? He says it's the best except for it's the worst except for everything else. So <laughs> <laughs> so so um, I think that it is it it's there's some amazing aspects to it and and even what we've been through at Beyond Meat this year with this IPO, which you know for me that was the first time doing that and interesting experience to go through but you know it actually did reward and renew my faith in the capitalist system that you could have people who had an idea who could um basically generate the resources invite others to support the idea and people come together to do it and it it results in the growth of an idea into a widespread really into a widespread movement and um, there's risk associated with it but you know i'd like to think there's also rewards too so I actually, I think entrepreneurship is fantastic, and I think we as a as a society have to support it in every way we can, because that's, um, even the challenge, every, with almost every challenge, not every challenge, but almost every challenge can be so, um, corrected through entrepreneurship. And so we have to find ways to, to do that. And you look at our food system, it sort of got to a terrible place probably the, around the 80s, and, and I think we've been a lot of entrepreneurs have been helping us move away from that in, in a positive way. And it's, it's happening. It takes time, but it's happening. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, 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 I have yet to see a better model is one thing I can say. And, and look, there's huge shortcomings in our system and you can talk about the, in ex, the extremes of wealth, the lack of economic opportunity around our in certain parts of our country, the imbalances um, for sure. But uh, I'm still a fan
2: yeah yeah i have to say Uh, i mean being business owners also it's like we always say that as far as i mean argentina is not a communist um place but it's like just the down there there's other issues as far as instability and all that that they have it's like it's nice to be able to um live somewhere where you can Execute upon an idea that you have and then yeah. see how it goes. And it is, it's, it's like going to China and getting off the train or the plane or whatever, and you're into the great unknown. And right. being an entrepreneur is so much of constantly being in the great unknown because it never ends. That's it. Small business, yeah. entrepreneur, you always got to move into the next space in the, yeah. in the name of expansion and, and survival. And
1: there's no other country where people can do what we're doing to that extent. I mean, yes, there's entrepreneurs in other countries, but you just don't see the. The other thing that's amazing about the United States is the creativity. So, you know, yes, there's an economic system that has it, but the creativity, and I think the creativity comes from the diversity. And so yeah, 100%. Without all those different cultures coming together, um, you wouldn't see the kind of creativity that yeah. we
2: have here. Yeah, that, that, the creativity, and always, always said the gene pool that yeah. um, populated this area, kind right? of, they were the ones that also like wanted to get away from I guess repression and and they they risked everything the life of getting on a boat and coming across the ocean back Mm -hmm. in the day and so that's kind of who got here and started and populated this place so it has a a unique edgy um, entrepreneurial spirit from the beginning Yeah, yeah Yeah.
0: so I'm going to go back to to, to those early 20s. Um, mm-hmm. So you finished traveling and then you come back to the States and then you work in politics, right?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting. So in between, after my year in China, I came yeah. back to the U.S. and mm-hmm. I worked on the uh, 1988 presidential campaign. Dukakis. That's Dukakis Benson, yeah. And that's where I met my, my wife on that campaign. Okay. Then I went back out to Russia for another year and a half. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: And and then you come back and how, how was working in politics and, and how yeah. did you make the switch from politics to entrepreneurship? <laughs> so I came
1: back from, uh, during the campaign, I had met the folks at Lloyd Benson, Senator Lloyd Benson, who was the vice presidential candidate. I met his people and liked them. They liked me. And so when I came back to the US, I reconnected with them and I got the job as the deputy press secretary for him. And it was a lot of fun. And it was, for me, uh, he was somebody during the campaign I'd come to admire. Someone who had real integrity, who wasn't a bombastic, you know, who just sort of said, respected everybody and spoke, I think, in a way that was, they said, a, a workhorse, not a show horse, you know. And so I, for two and a half years, I worked with him. I traveled throughout Texas with him and, um, you know, helped advance the causes um, at the time. And I enjoyed the work, but I felt it was a little bit removed. I mean, I loved being with Senator Benson in Texas. We got to meet the people who... You know, he was helping to support, but for the most part, it was pretty, especially since I wasn't the one making the, the decisions, it was a few steps removed. I thought, I want to get closer to the action. And so I left his um, office in 1993 and went to um, help launch a youth service corps program in Baltimore. Um, so I did that and <clears throat> became, we took over a program for the summer of that uh, that year that was the precursor to what became AmeriCorps. So it was a demonstration program, and so I did that uh, for you know that year of '93. But I also felt as I was doing that, this is good. But if this is going to become a national movement, people need management skills because we there was they brought together all the different programs from around the country, and I saw a bunch of people who were really um, idealistic but didn't have management skills. And I thought oh, this is going to be a hot mess if we all <laughs> these people like, you know, let's let's take some all these actions and not really understand how to how to make them happen at scale so i i felt like going to uh, business school was the right thing to do and so i got into the yale school of management and that was where i went and uh, from there i got opened up to this whole idea that there was a way for business to be involved in social change but still you know look at it as a for-profit and that's where i, I would say i switched over to the for, the private sector and so, um, you know, I, I think I've still—I'd like to think I'm still involved in the national service movement, but through through the you know the business sector.
0: So, so what's your origin story? I'm, I'm sure <laughs> you told it four million times. We like oh, Rob the, and I are yeah. so like when I hear myself telling it, sometimes I'm, I just like I, I can't even stand it. So I'm so sorry for asking <laughs> uh, you this, and I know you've you've uh, probably told the no, story that, the, four so million times. Honesty, but I know, yeah, yeah I yeah. know you met your professor, right? right? That became your partner yeah. at the Yale management school yeah. and um etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. so I, I won't tell it for you actually i, okay. I, I will make you suffer <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so in uh, 1995 i was in barry nail but is my co-founder and i was in his competitive strategy course and it was a court the case study we did was called coke versus pepsi and it was just about how these two companies competed in the soda wars the cola wars and Barry asked at the time, "Well, they're competing on you know head-to-head around cola, um, but is there any other way they could compete?" And and uh, you know then we opened up that discussion. Yeah, because it shouldn't just be cola versus cola. If you're really a beverage company, it's you know what other drinks do you have? And not only just you know sort of a lemon lime versus lemon lime, but thinking about drinks way beyond that. So drinks without uh, carbonation, drinks without as much sugar was certainly where I keyed on. I said, yeah, why, why did these drinks all have the same level of, of sweetener, which is, you know, basically hundred calories per eight ounces that, at the time. They almost all had the same ingredient, which was high fructose corn. So why isn't somebody making a product with much less sweetener? And, um, you know, that could be healthier. And Barry was excited at the time. He said, Oh, let's make some samples. Let's do some focus groups. The idea at the time was let's sort of make a product like Orangina, but with less sweetener. And, um, I, I was interested in the idea, but I also had to like, find a job. So I, 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 can't, I can't think about it now, but I kept the idea in the back of my head. And then I came down to Bethesda, Maryland to work for Calvert, which did socially responsible investing based in Bethesda. And uh, I was enjoying the work, but after a presentation in New York City one day, I um, went for a run in Central Park. And after the run, I was thirsty. And I went to a beverage cooler and I, I said to my friend I was with, I said, there's nothing here. He said, well, what do you mean? There's, there's lots of drinks. I said, yeah, but they're all, they all have that same sweetness level. They all have, or water, nothing in the middle. And, and then I remembered the conversation with Barry. I said, so I emailed Barry on the way home. I said, I think I am ready to do something about this idea. And he, the timing was good because he had just come back from India where he'd been doing a case study of the tea industry and he had come up with the name Honest Tea. And so that was like, wow, okay, now you take this very um, clear idea around a product, and you add a great brand name to it and and also it gives it focus um, and and it also and so if we had other insights we learned that on barry 's trip to India he saw that he saw basically where the tea leaves. Oh, come from that are used to make um, most bottled tea and it was the dregs it was sort of all after they sold all the good tea leaves the stuff that's kind of left over they mix into a powder you know or concentrate and then that's what is used to make bottled tea in the U.S. and we realized you know we could spend three or four times what those companies spend it would still only be you know three cents four cents a bottle but we could make a much better tasting tea Uh, and then of course we started to learn about organic and then we learned about fair trade so I left my job in the investment world started honesty tea out of my house, and I managed to get an appointment with the Whole Foods buyer for the 17 stores here in the Mid-Atlantic, and uh, so I brewed up five thermoses of tea, and I got an empty Snapple bottle that we pasted a label on, <laughs> and, and presented it to the Sounds buyer. Sounds familiar. Yeah, right? And I said, you know, we'd love to sell this in your store, and that the terrifying moment for me was when he said, okay, great, I'll take 15,000 bottles, and we never made it anywhere but our kitchen, so that was, that was hard. <laughs> So it was fun, and that was how
2: we got started. <laughs> and it's a great story.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like there's so many, like, great ideas that come from, like, this, you know, this void, right, on, on the market, and somebody seeing yeah. a better way to do things. But it also needs to be, like, the timing was perfect, and then your professor partner coming back from India and coming, you know, yeah, with this idea I, of the perfect name. Yeah,
1: but the timing is never, at least for me, timing is never yeah, perfect. Perfect
0: is a bad word. Yeah. I'm sorry. Perfect yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. But I mean, things need to align a little That's bit. That's true. That's um, true. And it seems like things align and you, we can all see voids, you know, here and there, but from there to, to, for those voids to be meaningful to us yeah. and for us to be at the perfect time in our lives in which, or yeah. stop, stop with the word perfect, yeah. but at that time in our lives and we, we think we can you know, take that leap. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. things that need to happen and it seems like they, they, they sort of manifested for you at that time.
1: Yeah, um, but just to show you why it wasn't perfect, so, so literally the day that Barry and I were brewing the tea in our house to prepare for the, the presentation with Whole Foods the next day, we're in the kitchen, and we've got teapots and thermoses all over the everywhere. Um, and we're doing all this. And then my wife Julie walks in with our middle son, Ellie, uh, and she, she's got this, you know, just pale look on her face. And I said, well, you know, I thought she was worried about the big mess we made. I said, I'm going to clean this up. <laughs> she said, no, no, I, I need to talk to you. And then she told me that Ellie had been diagnosed with a, it's called a coarctation of his aorta. His aorta was closed off, and he was going to need major cardiac surgery within the month. And so the reason I say the timing wasn't perfect, because if I had known that, uh, I went to launch the company, right? Because, you know, here we are, sort of major, uh, really a family crisis, and and I'm supposed to be focused on launching an iced tea company. It just felt weird. Um, Unfortunately, he made it through. He's fine. And he He's, had that. He had an operation. Yeah, literally within you know a few weeks. So you know we got the, how old was your son? He at the was time? four years old at Jeez, the time. So really intense. That's, oh, yeah. So he was terrible. in the ICU for a week. We basically you know Julie and I stayed there, uh, and and this was you know I was at um, at the same time I had to like think about building the business. So I literally had a guy who was helping me develop the formulas who would come in. I'd meet him you know at midnight in the hospital lobby. Taste some product, and I'd say, "Oh, this is you know, this is right, or this needs a little more um, flavor, or whatever." And so it was. Um, but like I say, that was that. That's why things aren't perfect, and, and so you know, you you. But um, you've got life. What John Lennon said, you know, life is what happens when you're. Uh, what you <laughs> happens plants. to you when
0: you're when you're busy making other plans? That's ah. it.
1: That's it. So I was. Um, life was happening
2: yeah you know that reminds with seth talking about that you know it reminds uh it reminded me of in 2004 when we were trying to open um a father-in-law oscar who's um who's here he he was here from argentina for three weeks and um got sick went to the hospital they found a big tumor in his mm. colon it had metastasized in his liver and his lungs oh and so they kind of gave him the death sentence and he was on chemo kind of like thinking that he was going to die on our sofa in our DuPont Circle apartment as we were building out the mm. store in Georgetown. Yeah. it's just I wonder, And he you know? made it too. And he made it, oh, yeah. you know. He made it through, but oh, it's just like this thing of emergence. It's like a spe- it's, it's a very unique moment yeah, in the process. It's, yeah, it's like and that it crucible. And it kind of yeah. manifests in, in a lot of different ways, definitely yep. not just like the great Wow, yeah. I'm no, when this. I when yeah. we tell
0: our story, like our origin stories, like uh, I always say, I cry for two years every night. <laughs> it's my two years of crying, yeah. and, and we made it. I don't know how. It was out of persistence and just support from our community, right? Um, because we went through so many problems. So many oh my gosh, and it was just so hard. And so uh, you know, it was. It was. I think it was just. I, I, yeah, being together helped a lot. I said um, just,
2: it was all a bunch of luck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just to avoid it. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there is that too. You know, I there's mean, there's luck. a lo- there's a lot of factors yeah. that.
1: Yeah, but there's a lot of bad luck too, and so you know yeah, you just can sides. focus on the, the positive. luck. so really, just
2: keep <laughs> going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, and hopefully you make it.
0: And and something that you know, like all entrepreneurs have, I think, is just you need to be so determined and always look at the half glass full. Or yeah. what, how do you say yeah, that? Yeah, that's fine. Because yeah, half full. Yeah. glass. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, said so Otherwise, you just you know you shoot yourself. Yeah, <laughs> at yeah. certain points. It's tough. At certain points. I mean, there's there's rewards always, but. There's always a lot it's of the, it's the yeah. spectrum.
2: It seems like yeah. you know that that kind of opens up as far as the 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 opportunities and the challenges. They all it is really on the spectrum where it's kind of the the freedom of being an entrepreneur goes with the insecurity yeah. of being. You know, it's always got yeah. that up the other side that where if you stay in the cubicle safe, yeah. you don't have the risk, but you also don't have the yeah. other side. To it's, that e- is,
1: that's right. It's easy to idealize the quote-unquote freedom of right. being <laughs> an entrepreneur. But the vulnerabilities is <laughs> yeah. like
2: brutal sometimes. Yeah.
0: We're talking to Seth Coleman, founder of Honesty and also executive chairman of Beyond Meat. And we're going to take a short break here at the Dolce Sherbert Experience and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Dolceza Sherbert Experience. We're live from the Line Hotel on full service radio. This is Violeta, your host. We're here with Rob, my co-host, and Seth Coleman, founder of um, Honesty and executive chairman of Beyond Meat. So I know that your whole family is vegetarian and you're all like very healthy and conscious eaters. So so where did your passion for good food come from and, and how did you convince everyone in your family to well, follow you Well, So
1: what's funny is that I didn't. It um, it started with our son, Jonah. Oh, ah, okay. <laughs> he convinced everybody.
2: Jonah did that. Yeah. Why is that does that not surprise <laughs> me
1: <laughs> <laughs> no Jonah a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> so when he was ten years old, We went out to a animal sanctuary called Poplar Springs Animal Sanctuary in Poolsville, Maryland. And I had just heard about a volunteer project that Calvert had done there. So I thought, oh, that'd be a fun place to spend a weekend day with the boys. And uh, we went out there and had a lot of fun, you know, just helping to feed some of the animals and raking, you know, sort of uh, putting new hay down for the chicken coop. And we met this wonderful turkey named George who followed us around and was so friendly and everything. And. And then we went home, and I think that night we actually had um, this wonderful Peruvian chicken that we used to like as a family. But Joan was eating it and looking at it, and he said, you know, this, this, this leg, this chicken leg looks just like George's leg. And he's like, what's the difference between George and... I said, well, oh. And this poor Peruvian. Yeah, yeah. This one came from Peru. Right? <laughs> he's Jorge. Yes. Is it? Jorge's leg? Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, we didn't have a great answer for him what the difference was and so he said, well, I think I'm going to become a vegetarian and he sort of at the time had, had been thinking about it. he'd gone back and forth, I remember one time he tried it and then there was like taco Tuesday at the school lunch and he switched back, but then he, when by the time he got to be 10, he said, I'm, I'm going to be, and he, started, he was a he became vegetarian and then over the next two years he convinced his younger brothers, partially because he was, you know, a big older brother and, and uh, you know, would lecture them. not gonna have it any yeah, other way yeah yeah. so they became vegetarian then it was just my wife julie and i not being vegetarian and then when it came time for jonah to have his bar mitzvah at the age of 13 um there were two things happening first he was a 13 year old in middle school so it's often challenging in middle school to feel strongly about something and the other kids even tease you or don't believe in you you know you and so we wanted to validate his feelings but he also gave a very powerful talk on his bar mitzvah um about the Torah that the the, the the Torah portion he had read, which was all about the kosher laws of preparing food and they talked about how you need to separate milk and meat and uh, because milk is, is life and meat the meat is death you shouldn't mix the life with the death and that you have to pour out all the blood from the animal because the, the blood is the life and you, you shouldn't be eating life he says, if you're so concerned with not eating the life, don't kill the animal and then you know and if you can meet all of your dietary needs without killing animals, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you do that And so we felt it would be a, almost as a gift to him. Let's let's try being vegetarian. So that was 14 years ago, and it stuck. We we have done well. I would say we had always been happy with the choice from an ethical perspective. We never felt, oh, you know, is this the right thing to do? But we were never that thrilled with the choice from a culinary perspective. By that, I mean, you know, the, we were just frustrated. We couldn't enjoy hamburgers the way we used to. We missed that chicken. There were some really good dishes, and we hadn't yet found good substitutes, and so that's kind of why when I, when Julie actually came across the idea of Beyond Meat, I was like, "Oh, this could be a really big idea." When
0: was that? Tell me more about. So that it. was
1: in 2012. Um, we had sold Honest Tea to Coca-Cola, and we um, were still i was still working with uh, Coca-Cola and Honest Tea, but I I started to get that entrepreneurial itch. Like I think I want to try take on a new challenge, and was trying to think what that challenge would be and when Julie read about this company getting started out in California that was seeking to replicate the taste and texture of meat using only plants I said well that sounds worth looking into and Julie said at the time if this company succeeded it would be the best birthday present she read the the article on on her birthday it just so happened she said that would be the best birthday present ever so I reached out to just send an email to info at beyondmeat.com and said you know I heard about what you're trying to do and if there's and they were just about to launch into retail they had sales were under a million dollars and they were selling just in food service and so i know a lot i, said, I know a lot about launching brands that especially mission-oriented brands and retail if there's any way i can help i'd love to and i had been scheduled to go out to uh, los angeles um you know for in a few weeks after and so we connected out there and got along really well and i became an investor and a board member and advisor and and then we got into a regular um, cadence of just checking in every week, and then um, felt well, that was valuable as we checked in every other day, and, and uh, really got engaged in the business.
0: So tell me more about. Um, so it's it's pea protein, right? Yeah, that but the, it's, you guys are the, using the,
1: yes, that's our main ingredient. But the mm-hmm. real idea with Beyond Meat is that um, it's a recognition that all meat comes from plants, right? Mm-hmm. And what happens is animals eat plants, and they use their digestive system and their their um, skeletal system to convert the plants into into the meat that we or the muscle that we harvest as meat. And so, what Beyond Meat said is, well, if you really understand how meat is composed, um, you could just create meat directly from plants. You don't need the animal. And so, when you do an MRI or high definition microscopy of uh, meat, you can just see it's an assembly of amino acids that form. They're bonded to fats and to water, of course. And, and so all these things exist in the plant kingdom. And then how do, we, how do you basically stitch these together in a way that replicates the taste and texture of meat? So, yes, pea protein is key, as are the fats. Uh, there's, there's canola oil and coconut oil and then obviously water and then uh, flavoring. And uh, uh, we're getting really close to replicating the taste and texture of meat.
0: It, it's amazing. It's inc- it's incredible
2: <laughs> yeah. for anyone that hasn't had beyond meat. It's just something that yeah, it's not blows like the veggie away. burgers of the past, oh, right?
1: That were so, so
0: bad. <laughs> Talk about another like you know oh, void. Yeah.
1: Well, that's a, yeah. I've joked before that um, veggie burgers were a conspiracy by the meat industry to discourage people from being vegetarian. Well, nowadays it, you would
2: have a great audience of yeah. conspiracy theories <laughs> right, everywhere. right?
0: right. And, and I think that the the genius of the way that you're marketing this is that you're doing it in the meat section. And so you're not appealing to the 5% of vegetarians in that's the world it. because you couldn't survive, right? That's it. That's so, it. And that was a
1: big breakthrough. The big breakthrough, two breakthroughs. first was getting the product um, to be made the way it is. And then the other was convincing the meat departments that this deserves a place in it. And those were tough conversations initially because the meat the buyers are. Well, why would I? Number one, why would I meet with you? Because I don't eat veggie burgers. I don't buy veggie burgers. And then, you know, I'm, I, I carry animal meat. And so once we um, first so we got the first chain to do it was Whole Foods. And then when we saw the results, it was so powerful. Others were willing to take a risk. And so Albertsons was next, and then Kroger. And then they saw how the sales went. And, and if you walk into Safeway, Albertsons, or any, any uh, grocery chain in the US now, there is a part of the meat section that's called plant-based protein. And, uh, and obviously Beyond Meat is, is there, but there's other brands that have come now too.
0: So you created a category.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's a pretty interesting thing to happen because, you know, in your lifetime you don't really see new categories come out that often. And so yeah. this one, I, 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 to put this in the arc of human history, I mean, I think by the time our grandchildren grow up, they're going to be, I think plant-based protein will be the largest ch- Part of the of the protein category, and I think they'll find it hard to believe that our um, whole food system was centered around this this system of you know raising and slaughtering billions. We of... We
0: talk sh- about it with Rob and we laugh. Yeah. When we say like Robin, like our the future generations are going to be like, oh, they were eating meat, <laughs> uh, yak, you know, yeah. just like yeah. what they what were they doing? But that's um, but
1: just to show you how a culture a cultured we are to meat uh, when we going back to when we as a family decided to become vegetarian. We were at a cookout with um, Julie's uh, brother and, and wife, and we were talking about how we were going to be vegetarian. And, and um, the, uh, I guess it would be my sister-in-law was, you know, making burgers and. She said, well, what are you gonna eat? And we said, Oh, you know, we can eat tofu. She says, Oh, she said, Tofu's so gross. And as she's saying that, she's molding dead cow flesh into <laughs> into burgers and that's right. not gross, you know. And it's, so, cu- it's a cultural thing. That's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's so true. But
0: definitely, you know, with, with overpopulation and climate change, yeah. I mean there's that's the Resources. way to go. I mean, yeah.
2: It's the yeah. only way forward as far as yeah. with kind of the situation yeah. that we find ourselves Yeah, we're not going to be able right to now. feed
1: 7 billion people on the kind of diet we have in the United States, and let alone 10 billion is, is where we're headed. So yeah. um, it's, an, it's, it's something um, that's important for, for both health and uh, global resource constraints. And, and it's an exciting time to see people you know, really recognize that.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, where, it is um, since 2012 being involved with Beyond Meat. Yeah, I'm sure you feel like right now it's blowing up.
1: Yeah, you know? it's it's uh, there's a movement going on, and we're we're a face of it. Um, but there's something bigger than us for sure. But yeah. it's nice to be, you know, to feel that support, which we do.
2: Yeah, and the yeah. groundswell of that is the is the youth. Yeah, I mean, I guess your three yeah. boys are part of the. Um, are they the m- uh, millennial generation? Oh, I don't, I don't know how you define not, it, but they're yeah.
1: certainly on board. But it's also interesting to see older generations too—people who were. It's funny. I just got an email today from our the one of the bankers we worked with on the IPO, who's who's an old sort of steak and potatoes guy. And he's been vegan since like mid-October. Wow. And he says he's lost 25 pounds. He feels so, you know, and it, it's just, and, and look, I don't know if you'll stay vegan, but it's like, wow, okay, you know, that's a big shift. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so you mentioned the IPO. Um. So, so you founded Honesty, and then you have this great success story. You end up selling to Coca-Cola, but, you know, keeping control of your company for a while. Um, in a a position of strength from an equity point of view yeah. but still very small compared to what you did with Beyond Meat right? Mm-hmm. I mean in terms of raising capital in terms yeah. of going oh, public yeah. Yeah. so how is like we we're, we're, the, we're, the we're always of... trying to go yeah. to the next level yeah. Yeah. how is well, at those next levels how do you raise 100 million dollars how do you no. go public how I do you don't negotiate not think you want
1: to raise 100 million if you can avoid yeah. it yeah we're definitely not not for us so it depends on the business right? I mean for Honesty we raised 10 million dollars over our first 10 years and it was all from angel. Investors, and that was the right thing to do. It was a, um, it it helped us keep control, and we found supportive investors who were on board. For Beyond Meat, we, um, you know, it's so science driven that we had to get a bunch of scientists to put R and D in, and it was a long-term investment, meaning it wasn't going to be profitable, really, for the first eight years, and so. Um, what we did was spend a lot of money on R and D and, uh, but we raised over a hundred million dollars. And obviously there's not, at least at the time, there weren't many angel investors who had that kind of wallet or appetite. And so, um, we did have to raise it a different way, but it was also a bigger prize. Um, and so, you know, the meat, the iced tea category is maybe $3 billion. The meat category in the U S is maybe 300 billion. So it's just a different scale of opportunity. And of course, globally, it's 1.4 trillion. And so, it's the biggest category in food, and so for for Beyond Meat, it did make sense to to raise big money to think big about the outcome and the prize with Honest Tea. And I don't I don't want to suggest I was not thinking in a in a big way about what we can create at Honest Tea, but um, it just the we knew you know an IPO was not the right outcome for Honest Tea because even if you have access to capital, which is what an IPO gives you, you still need access to distribution. And there have been and there are so a few. Uh, beverage companies that are public but don't have an embedded distribution system and it's, they don't grow because you can't, that's what you really need. Um, um, so for us, partnering with a, a company like Coca-Cola was the way to accelerate our growth and, and create that upside. So part of it is you have to think about what the right outcome is for the business you're building. Um, and that'll help determine the kind of money you raise, who you raise it from, where you go with it.
2: What, where do you see this um beyond meat journey going? oh
1: so we're we're interested in becoming you know a global protein company we are we are you know we, um, our ceo ethan said the other day it, this company like tyson foods they maybe do 30 40 billion dollars in sales that's we want to be that company we want to be doing that scale of sales and and you know if you look at what's happened a great analog is the um uh, what's happened in the dairy category. So plant-based dairy is, is about 13% of the dairy category. Uh, and if we can get the meat category, plant-based meat to be 13% of, of the meat category, that becomes... What is it, it right now? Oh, it's less than 1% in the U.S. Wow. So, so, um, But it's obviously growing very quickly. And I think the reason that'll happen, the reason I'm confident that'll happen is because the plant-based dairy substitutes actually are, for the most part, not... Well, I think they're not as good as milk. I don't think they taste as good as milk. I don't think a lot of them don't have the same nutrition as dairy milk. Right. Um, and, and, and so there's some flaws to them. I think um, a product like Beyond Meat is much closer in taste to animal-based meat, has nutritional advantages as opposed to flaws, but it also has the protein. It just doesn't have cholesterol. It has less saturated fat. Uh, and also over time, we're going to actually be able to make our product for at less cost than animal. Less cost
2: and and then extremely less impact. Yeah, much
1: less resources. We use 99% less water, 93% less land to make a a Beyond Burger versus what it takes to make a beef burger. So um, we have a lot of advantages again. And the other thing, of course, is our competition, which I I mean is, you know, a cow hamburger isn't evolving. Like cows, cows aren't evolving anymore. They're not getting cheaper they're not getting tastier they're not getting healthier um, yeah. and so we, 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 get, we have a static target we can go after in every quarter we keep improving um, so, so it's easy to feel bullish about what we're doing
0: what do you say to to play devil's advocate, to people that says that it's highly processed?
1: Yeah, that's just a question of two processes. So what happens? You know, what is, what is a process that creates a cow hamburger? Well, it, technically, it's an animal eating um, plants, puts it through four different acid baths, that's its stomach, uh, and then that animal is slaughtered, and... and if you were to talk about, well, can you get to see what happened, what's the process, you, you know, if you, if you were a reporter saying, hey, I want to go film, you know, what happens in the slaughterhouse today. Oh, <laughs> it's not that's pretty. Not, that's not a pretty thing. There's also a lot of other um, byproducts of, of um, cultivating animals, whether it's antibiotics, hormones, other things that people don't necessarily want in their body. So, you know, from our point of view, we just take the, we take the peas, we, um, we separate out the protein from the fat from the starch. Uh, And then we run those peas through the exact same piece of equipment that you use to make pasta. So if somebody thinks our product is too processed, then they they shouldn't be eating pasta because it's it's just heat and pressure, and cooling. Um, And so you know, one of the reasons we launched our product is our first retailer was Whole Foods is we wanted to make sure we could pass that rigorous screen. And then you know we got non-GMO certification, so make sure people could understand there's nothing in here. That either you can't pronounce or you don't understand as an ingredient uh, that you couldn't replicate yourself, and so
2: not uh, not not at all to um, talk bad about yeah. anybody, but doesn't the like I guess in the plant-based burger space the um, biggest competition is a possible burger? and Don't they use something GMO? They or? use a
1: GMO ingredient. They do, but I you know I wouldn't necessarily say that the, the biggest competition is the animal-based meat. Right. So you That's, know from our point of view. Um, we're all in a mo- this movement together. There's different approaches. You know, we, We've obviously made our choice about it. Um, but um, I think from our point of view, when you create a category, it's good to have others in there. And, oh, and as I think we're showing, there is lots of opportunity for, for all the brands. They are,
0: like, if, if our listeners haven't tried Beyond Burger, like, they're amazing. I mean, if, they, it's going to blow your mind. And <laughs> you know <laughs> where you can
2: go get that is um, up in the Whole Foods Silver Spring called plant burger plnt and it is unbelievable and i mean it, and, and it's the um spike and ben and coletti michael coletti who are behind the good stuff eatery and yeah right Jonah, right yeah. but i'm just saying the burger experts <laughs> <laughs> brought into it's the really plant fun. world spike mendelson that, spike that and make Goldman, Seth yeah.
0: son um, are part of um, their founders. Um, as well as your wife, yeah. uh, on this venture, and yeah, if you want to try an incredible, and there's a crazy burger.
2: rabbi involved, which is always good to have around. He's <laughs> become our, my, our best friend at yeah, our factory. Like <laughs> twice a week, we we we, we he's did very this. Passionate. Um, uh, uh, we did a sorbet, this etrog. I, I heard, I heard. Yeah, I and saw it was that fantastic. Video. And we met the guy a couple of days ago that brought seventy cases individually wrapped amazing. etrog. For it. it was amazing. So. Yeah, go to Whole Foods Silver Spring, and, and if you're um, questioning or doubting or, or curious about it, eat the burger up at Plant Burger yeah. inside of Whole Foods Silver Spring. It will blow you away. It will redefine what a, a veggie plant-based burger, non-meat burger is. It's amazing.
1: And for the rest of your listeners who are outside of uh, Maryland, you know, uh, we have a national lunch with Duncan. Um, so our breakfast sausage patty we lunch with them is beyond breakfast sausage patty oh it's with amazing. Dunkin Donuts yeah oh wow I had no idea yeah, yeah. that's incredible yeah. it's the largest uh, launch it's in 9,000 restaurants so it's the largest launch of any plant-based uh, protein plant. you
2: must be learning so much just uh, um, of this stuff at a different level you well know? it's
1: fun you know and obviously with Honest Tea we, we were, were in you know Honest Kids is in McDonald's and Wendy's and Chick-fil-a and Subway so some, right. in some cases it's got to you know give me the chance to reconnect with some of these accounts and and you know be able to talk with them we're doing a test with subway right now we're doing a test with uh, mcdonald's right now
0: it's gonna yeah. be huge oh, <laughs> um, the,
2: the bus get get aboard the bus Jump So the just,
0: just too close but you just announced that you're leaving honesty at the end yeah. of the year so so I, I, are you gonna be fully immersed in beyond meat what else is there for you
1: What's yeah so a little about and that why now <laughs> <laughs> right so it is it's a big decision right i've been doing honesty for 22 years and love it still love it still proud of it um, but almost partially because I am proud of it, I feel like it's it can stand on its own. I'm not abandoning a, a helpless child, you know, who's sort of going into the deep end of the pool and can doesn't know how to swim. Um, you know, honesty is now launched in every continent around the world. Uh, uh, with everywhere we go, it's organic, lower calorie, fair trade whenever possible. We launched um, you know the first fair trade products ever distributed by Coca Cola in Europe, and and uh, so. It, it feels like this is the right time to, to take a step away because I, a, as an entrepreneur, need to go back to that feeling of, you know, uh, what I talked about in China, going into a, a place. To the where great I, beyond. <laughs> yeah, going to the great beyond. And so um, I have um, some really fun ideas, which I won't, can't really talk about yet, but some really fun ideas about how to um, further connect people's diets to... Um, issues I care about, issues of health, issues of, of the climate change, of, of what's going on in the earth. And um, and so uh, I'm ready to go back in and, and create something new. And uh, I'll, of course, keep my role with Beyond Meat, for sure. I will I will still uh, stay on as exec, executive chair of the board. But um, as, as Julie says, so you know I, I spend 75% of my time with Beyond Meat, and then the other 75% of my time is when I'll create <laughs> that other enterprise.
2: Never ending. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much Seth for being with us today. Oh, it's it's been really lovely fun. talking yeah, to you. Yeah,
2: thanks thanks so much for sure. um, coming in and sharing your story. Just one last thing before we yeah. What what advice would you have to any of the uh, pe- folks listening who maybe you're thinking about taking the jump into doing their own thing? Yeah. What would you say to them? It,
1: one of the keys is it's really got to be noticeably different than what's out there. Like you may be passionate about something, but unless it's dramatically different, it's just too competitive out there. They just the you know, world doesn't need another chip or another salsa you know it's like it's gotta have something that's breakthrough different and and um people often overlook that and then of course when you get that if you can connect it to impact connect it to something you care about then it 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 gets to be more than just a a business opportunity it becomes a cause
2: yeah wonderful well thanks so much for everything yeah coming in and speaking with us and sharing with us
1: yeah great to be with you